very obvious to me that this year's conference is not so much to comfort you. Though that is one of the primary goals of Bible prophecy is spoken of in Thessalonians when it speaks about that trumpet that we shall hear one day. When the trump of God shall sound and the voice of the archangel shall shout and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the sky and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another therefore with these words. And so that is a goal of prophecy is to comfort us but that's obviously not the goal of today. Which is okay. Really, I truly believe that we're right in the middle of the will of God with this conference. And that the Lord is issuing a wake-up call to the church today. In my estimation, and I say this very humbly, in my estimation, the two biggest challenges facing the church today are pornography and Islam. Pornography destroying the soul of Christian men, and so subsequently Christian marriages and families. Islam then going after the souls that have not been claimed by Christianity. These are, in my estimation, the two greatest challenges facing the true and potent push forward of the kingdom of God in these last days. The Bible does not necessarily teach that we will see a revival of Christianity in the last days. In fact, it says that many will depart from the faith that they will be paying attention to doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits. And often we're taught in the Christian church that we're to be expecting this last day's revival. I hope for a last day's revival. But I expect difficult days, according to the scriptures. And we are living in difficult days indeed. And I I, I know what the next speakers are speaking about. And it's only going to get more challenging and a little more scary as we progress into the evening. Now, you can do one of two things. You can go and put your head in the sand or leave it in the sand when you leave this place. Or you can get very alive and active and aggressive in your Christian faith. And that is what you ought to do. Listen to me. About a hundred years ago, the Christian church faced a huge challenge in the theory of evolution. And the church allowed itself to become intimidated. And so the church backed off and put its head in the sand. And we have generations who are suffering the result of the generation that put their head in the sand. Instead of standing up for the Bible at that time, instead of seeking after the answers and making their voice heard, they were intimidated by the majority report, which was lauding this new thing of evolution. And the church and the world has suffered greatly. This is another pivotal moment in history where the church needs to decide what they will do. If God is God, then serve him. Amen? Open up your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 12. Lord, we are just incredibly thankful for the opportunity that we have today to be together, to hear from your word and It's very realistic to say that we may not always be able to gather in this way in America, should you tarry. It's a very real and sober thing to say that we may not always be able to speak these opinions 
at 100 decibels should you tarry. And so we rejoice in the day. We rejoice in the moment. And right now, Jesus Christ, we exalt you above every other name. You are the ruling and reigning king. And as hairy as it's going to get in this world, you are the soon and coming king. We count on it. We bank on it. We rejoice in it. And we are not going to be found as those who shrink back at your coming and so are ashamed. We want to be those who occupy until you come. And so, Jesus Christ, we ask that you would give us grace now. Grace to hear your word and the challenges of the world before us and to respond. Lord, you know me. I feel and I am wholly unworthy to preach, much less to preach on this topic. And so we together ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and author my thoughts and my words for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, I've been given the topic, Israel in the last days. And it's a big one, so I'm going to speak for about six hours. Because Scripture has much to say on the subject of Israel. Holy 5-6 of the Bible bears directly or indirectly on Israel and the Jews. 5-6 of it. Israel is the major topic of Bible prophecy, just as it's a major topic of the news today. The word Israel is found in the Bible 2,569 times, to be exact, in the New American Standard. Compare that to Jesus. That word is found 917 times. I'm not saying that Israel is more important than Jesus. Hello. I'm just saying time given in the Bible to a particular subject. 2,569. The word sin is mentioned 430 times in the Bible. Israel is very, 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 very important to God's heart or he would not have spoke so much about her in his book. You understand? So when we speak about Israel, we are getting very near to the heart of God. That's a very serious thing. Israel is and always will be his chosen people. They are and always will be the firstborn of God. Israel is and always will be the apple of his eye, very near and dear to his heart, as are you, church. And Israel is, is ever increasing. You wouldn't think it could be anymore, but, but it's ever increasing in its media exposure. And in the intensity, once again, you know, we, we had a little bit of a reprieve after the last conflict in Lebanon, it seemed. A little bit of a reprieve, and now it's really starting to heat up again. I'll talk about a couple of those news issues, but one that I just saw today, uh, the headline from February 3rd, is Muslim rioting expected on the Temple Mount Sunday. That's tomorrow. It says a high Muslim council issued a call Saturday to Muslims asking them to come Sunday morning to protect the Temple Mount from incursions by the Jews who seek to remove the holy mosques. A statement by the group said they called out Muslims to gather at the Mugrabi entrance to the Temple Mount adjacent to the Kotel. That is the uh, court near the Western Wall there. Many of you have been there with us. They're asking Muslims tomorrow to gather there and to be ready to defend it against Jewish incursions. Jewish incursions, my eye. It's their Temple Mount. Always has been. But what started the last conflict in the year 2000, the Intifada, so to speak, was in Ariel Sharon. God have mercy on them. When Ariel Sharon went up on the Temple Mount to show, hey, this really is our place. And tomorrow the headline is, the call is Muslims show up, there may be a conflict. 
Also in the news is this, that one of the key head time scenarios is ever unfolding before us in the headlines. And that is what we find in Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the nations gathering against Israel. Zechariah 12, 1 through 3, very familiar with these students of Bible prophecy. It says in verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord, word of the Lord, Devar Adonai in Hebrew. Concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Yerushalayim a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Yerushalayim, it will also be against Judah. And it will also come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. Mark that Islam. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. All the nations of the earth will be gathered against her in the last days. This is something the Bible prophecy teachers and students have been talking about for years. But this year has been especially potent in this area. If we were to take the UN as a sample of the nations and examine their uh, stance toward Israel over the last year, it is enlightening. I have here on the PowerPoint for you an excerpt from the UN report. It says a tally of condemnations coming from the General Assembly during the fall of 2006. Resolutions condemning Israel for human rights violations, 25. Number of anti-Israel resolutions, which are new this year, four from the regular session and two from the emergency section. So six total. And then it says resolutions condemning human rights violations in any other state. Four. Every other state in the world, only four times did the UN see fit to condemn anybody. Twenty-five times in the last year against Israel. Those other four nations were Myanmar, Burma, the Democratic Republic of Korea, Iran, and Belarus. What about Sudan? What about Sudan where hundreds of thousands of Christians have been slaughtered wholesale? Nothing. Syria? Nothing. China? Nothing. Saudi Arabia? Not a word from the United Nations. Number of 61st General Assembly resolutions mentioning, let alone condemning, human rights violations by Hamas, Hezbollah, and Islamic Jihad? None. None. How do you, with a sane mind inside your skull... Condemn Israel 25 times in 2006 and never say a word about Hamas and Hezbollah. It can only be described as demonic. I mean, how else do you describe that? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that they might not see the glory of God in Christ Jesus. This is astounding, this trend that we see in our world, considering just back in World War II, which, by the way, was the last war America won. Do you understand that we haven't won a war since World War II? We don't understand that because Americans don't want to know that. (laughs) We don't understand that. We actually don't believe it. The rest of the world knows that. After World War II, Israel were the, the world's darlings. And they should have been after the Holocaust. And the same UN voted statehood for Israel. The same UN that is now condemning them over and over and over again, but refuses to say a word about what's going on in Sudan. Refuses to confront what's happening in Korea or China. 
refuses to talk about Hamas or Hezbollah. Don't be surprised by these things. The Bible said that we would see days like this. This all coincides and culminates in the rise of the Antichrist. Israel's following after him for a season. The false peace, the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel and Jesus in Matthew 24. Armageddon and the return of Christ to defend Israel, to save Israel, to establish his kingdom Israel, and to rule and reign from Israel. That's the way it's going to go, but there is a fair amount of intrigue that will unfold from now until then. Bernard Lewis is arguably the world's foremost scholar on Islam. And he recently sat down with a panel uh, from the Jerusalem Post and just let them ask questions. And a couple of quotes from that session. Bernard Lewis, the authority in my mind on Islam, says, A number of Arab governments are coming to the conclusion that Israel is not their most serious problem and not their greatest danger. Now, this is interesting. This seems like a little turn in the tide, doesn't it? Because Islam for the last 50 years has been all about her. And now the foremost authority is saying, well, they're starting to realize that maybe Israel is not their biggest problem. He goes on and says, this is very similar to what happened with former Egyptian president Anwar Sadat. If you go back to the Egyptian peace process, Sadat didn't decide to make peace with Israel because he suddenly was convinced of the merits of Zionism. Sadat decided to make peace because he realized that Egypt was becoming a Soviet colony. So he wanted to align himself with some democracies, you understand. And he subsequently ordered Russia out. And that that was a big, bold move. But you see, Islam now, much like Egypt in that day, is beginning to see a broader picture and a larger opportunity on the world stage. And what we see happening on the world stage with Islam right now is that they're becoming uh, more involved in a broader spectrum of theaters and seeing that moving beyond Israel as being a key to their scenario of world domination. Bernard Lewis again says... The developments in the Middle East are both alarming and encouraging, depending on the angle of vision. The bad news on the general situation now is the increasing violence and the increasing support which the various extremists and terrorist movements seem to be getting. Most alarming of all is the steady increase in the area in which they have influence or in which they dominate, which before long will probably include Europe. A Syrian philosopher published an article not long ago, Bernard says, in which he said the only question about the future of Europe is, will it be an Islamicized Europe or a Europeanized Islam? And I am inclined to agree with him about that, said Bernard Lewis. Perhaps this lightens to some degree the immediate Islamic obsession with Israel. After all, if you can conquer Europe, not to mention America, Israel must follow. And you can imagine that thought process, and Jack alluded to it a few moments ago. Islam knows that they will never take Israel with America in the way. And and what's on the road to America? Europe. And Europe is gone. Let me tell you why Europe is gone. Let me tell you why Europe is gone. A healthy sense of self-deprecation. We don't want to offend anybody. We've offended so many people in the past. We were, we were such a world power for such a long time. We were such consumers of the world's resources. We just want to be nice now. We don't want to offend anybody. And so don't bum them out. Let them do their thing. 
and they're doing their thing. And it will be either an Islamized Europe or a Europeanized Islam. And this is where we can begin to imagine all sorts of intrigue as Europe becomes Islamized and how that might lend itself to the rise of the Antichrist who arises out of the morass of Europe. There is going to be some significant, very interesting, very intriguing to watch interplay between Islam and the rise of the Antichrist. Any reasonable theory about end time scenarios cannot ignore Islam in Europe. There is going to be some significant interplay between the European Union, the revived Roman Empire, and Islam. How it's going to play out is yet to be seen, but it is gaining momentum by the moment. I want to speak for a moment about the possession of the land. When I say the land, I mean capital T and capital L, Israel. Did you know that the Quran clearly states that the land was given to Israel? The Quran clearly states that. I have one here. I own it. I read it. I carry it with me. Surah 5. That's kind of like saying chapter. Surah 5, verses 20 and 21. Listen. Remember, Moses said to his people, O my people, call in remembrance the favor of Allah unto you when he produced prophets among you and made you kings and gave you what he had not given to any other among the peoples. O my people, enter the holy land which Allah hath assigned unto you and do not turn back ignominiously, that means causing public shame, for then will ye be overthrown to your own ruin. Now, Allah is not the God of the Bible. In fact, Allah is no God. Allah is a demonic impersonation of the ancient moon God, as Jack spoke of a minute ago. The Quran are not holy scriptures. Anytime that you see the Quran resembling the Bible, it is for the simple no-brain fact that the Bible predated the Quran. Very simple. The Quran has leaned upon and borrowed heavily from the Word of God. But isn't it interesting that even in their own writings, they said unequivocally, their God, they got the wrong God, they haven't figured it out yet, gave the land to Israel. You see, Islam has some serious theological problems. Some serious contradictions in the word and, and, and so in their word. And so here's how much of Islam deals with that. I was on the Al Qaeda website recently, a translated version, and they had an article called The Jews Are Unworthy of the Promised Land. It reads like this from Al Qaeda website. Allah decided to test the Jews when they were still an oppressed people while in Egypt. He seeks to lead them to the path of faith and victory and therefore urges them to conquer the land of Israel. They, the Jews, are even more afraid to fight for the promised land than they are of God. For this reason, the Jewish people does not fight it, does not find it hard to break the covenant between God and Abram, which awarded the land of Israel to the Jewish people for all generations. So Al Qaeda, knowing that the Quran says the land belongs to Israel, comes to the conclusion that Israel broke the covenant with their God concerning the land. And so the land isn't theirs anymore, but it has fallen to Islam. Islam is not the birthplace of replacement theology. Replacement theology predates even Islam, but Islam is a very, fertile breeding ground for replacement theology. 
Islam believes that God originally revealed himself to the Jews. The Jews blew it, so God went to the Christians. The Christians blew it, so the final revelation is to Islam through the prophet Muhammad. If you believe in replacement theology, that God is done with Israel and is turned solely to the Christians, you're in line with Islamic theology. And so Islam says that Israel broke their covenant with God and so the promise of the land has been abrogated. But the Bible says that the covenant of the land is not broken because it never depended on Abraham or his descendants. It depends solely and wholly upon the faithfulness of God. Isaiah 49, 14 through 16 says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. No, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Speaking of Israel, Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37. Thus says the Lord, who gives sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. In other words, the Lord says, I will never cast them away. It is not dependent upon what they have done or haven't done. It is dependent upon who I am and what I have said, says the Lord. And if the heavens can be measured, it's interesting. Again, the science used to say there were about 3,000 stars in the galaxy. The Bible has always said they're innumerable. Now science says, oh yeah, the Bible was right. Jeremiah 32, 41. And I will rejoice over them and do good to them, says the Lord. And I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul, says the Lord. Listen to me. There is not one other thing in the whole of Scripture about which God says that. There is no other thing that God does that He says He will do with such zeal as it is to plant His people, Israel, in the land. Is there another statement where He says, I will do it with all my heart and with all my soul? There is no other statement in the Bible. Why? Because it has to do with the very core of the character of God. Israel's promises, God's promises to Israel being fulfilled to them, them being in the land, has everything to do with the character of God and the promises of God. Therefore, he says, I'm more serious about this than anything else. I will put them in that land with my heart and my soul. You say, but wait a minute. What about our salvation? And doesn't God do that with his heart and his soul? No, he did it with his son and his blood. But our salvation, well, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm not in this camp. Your salvation, if you believe that God is done with Israel, you've got no assurance of salvation whatsoever. Because it means that God reneged on a promise that he said he would fulfill with all his heart and his soul. So what kind of God is that? I'll tell you what kind of God that is. It's a God like Allah, about whom the Quran says he is capricious. He could change his mind at any time and nobody has anything to say about it. Our Bible says our God is faithful. There's no turning, no shifting, no shadow in him. God will do this concerning Israel. 
for his name and for his glory. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 24. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord of God. When? When I prove myself holy among you in their sight. When? When I take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. That is the awesome act of God that we've had the privilege to see in our lifetime. I mean, what a privileged generation. You could have been born in the 1500s. So what? You could have been born in the 400s. So what? Who cares? You exist for such a time as this. When we are seeing the very heart and soul of God himself manifest in our day. This is unbelievable. In 1919, when the Hashemite Emir Faisal, you know about the Faisals if you saw Lawrence of Arabia. When he first heard about Zionism, he exclaimed that he was seeing what was announced in the Quran, the Jews coming back to the land. And it was based on that that he signed his historic agreement with Chaim Weizmann. Even Islam knows. If they really believe the Quran, they know that the land belongs to Israel. The covenant has not been abrogated as Islam asserts. In fact, let's look at in just a moment here how much of the land in the Middle East belongs to Israel. Look at this map with me. Do you see the red outline? That is a promised land described in Numbers 34. That is a promised land described in Genesis 15. That is a promised land described in Joshua chapter 1. I want you to know, on the left you see, of course, the Mediterranean. No surprise there. But I want you to see that it goes all the way to the east, to the Euphrates River and the Persian Gulf. That the land promised to Israel includes about 50% of modern-day Iraq that it includes a large portion of, of northern Saudi Arabia, that it includes all of the Sinai uh, 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 Peninsula, which is Egypt, it includes all of Jordan, it includes most of Syria, all of Lebanon, and just a little bit of Turkey. That is the land promised to Israel by God. That is the land that Israel owns. Now granted, they are not possessing the land, but that does not change the fact that they own the land. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, says that we have been given every blessing in the heavenly places through Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing is already ours. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We own them. They've been bought for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. But not every Christian possesses them all. That doesn't change the fact that positionally we already have them in Christ. We must lay hold of them. So God said to Israel in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, Everywhere that the foot of your soul treads shall be your territory. Their command was to take the land. Just as Christians, our command is to live the abundant life, the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. It's a tragedy that not all Christians do that. It's a tragedy that Israel has not laid hold of the fullness of the promises of God. But there is coming a day where you and I will enter into every promise and experience every promise of Christ Jesus for ourselves tangibly. And there's coming today when Israel will possess the fullness of the land. 
Eretz Yisrael Hashlema. Greater Israel is what it's called. Notice that Greater Israel, Eretz Yisrael Hashlema, encompasses several other states. As I said, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Jordan, Egypt, Syria, and Lebanon. Very interesting. What we are seeing right now, when I say right now, I mean today. What we are seeing happening on the world stage today is a brand new powerful push for a two-state solution. A two-state solution, you know what I'm talking about. People saying, what we need for peace in the Middle East is, yes, the Israel state to still exist, but then we need a Palestinian state and for them to exist side by side. And if we could just establish a Palestinian state, then we have peace in the Middle East. Now, that plan has been dormant for a few months. Everybody's been quiet about it, but it's been brewing underground. And what we see happening today, and when I say today, I mean today in the news, is a revival of a push for that plan. Started last week. Here's from the Daily Star. It says, Palestinian-Israeli peace process shows signs of life. After months of stagnation, a flurry of diplomatic activity toward reviving the Israeli-Palestinian peace talks was underway Monday. European Union foreign ministers agreed Monday to launch a fresh push for peace in the Middle East. The Israeli defense minister promoted a three-stage peace plan, which is I'll share with you in a minute. His three-stage peace plan involves the establishment of a Palestinian state. Yesterday, there was a historic meeting. The quartet met. Do you know who the quartet is? The quartet are representatives from the United States, Russia, the EU, the European Economic, whoever, whatever, and the UN, the United Nothing. So there's only three people at the meeting. Those four met yesterday. Now, something good came out of that meeting, and that was that all four of those parties affirmed together that they will continue in sanctions against the Palestinian elected Hamas government. That's good news. They're going to continue with sanctions against them. But something very disturbing came out of that meeting, and specifically from our girl Condi, who was the most vocal one pushing the absolute need to establish a Palestinian state in Israel as soon as possible. And I have here downloaded today from the U.S. State Department a transcript of the press conference that took place yesterday after that meeting. And they stated very clearly their goals in that press conference. And it says here, the quartet noted the continuing importance of the Arab Peace Initiative particularly its reflection of a shared commitment to a two-state solution. This was a historic meeting with the biggest players in the world, the U.S., Russia, the U.N., and the E.U., and they said verbally that they are committing themselves to pursuing a Palestinian state. We've known that for some time. Many of us were heartbroken when we heard George Bush say it. He's just a man. Just a man. But, this is my opinion, and a speaker later on may contradict me. I don't care. I'll be gone. <laughs> but my opinion is that very soon we will most likely see the establishment of a Palestinian state within the borders of Israel. And I'll tell you how to feel about that in a minute. But this last month in Israel was something called the Herzliya Conference. 
Herzliya conference is where the leaders of the nation of Israel get together and they talk about and they lay out some of their plans for the future. It was at that conference a couple years ago where Ariel Sharon announced to Israel his plans to withdraw from the Gaza Strip. So this is a big, huge, very important revelatory meeting for the Israeli government and the Israeli people. It happened just this last month. And there's a Knesset member there named Shlomo Bresnitz, who reportedly is a very close friend and confidant of Omart. And he said that the Judea and Samaria, that Judea and Samaria, Judea and Samaria. Well, how is that translated in the news? West Bank. Thank you. Judea and Samaria. In your Bible, it's Judea and Samaria. On CNN... It's West Bank. Okay? He said that Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, should be temporarily transferred to the Europeans and that most of the territory's Jewish community should be evacuated. Further, he said this. Again, his name is Shlomo Bresnitz. He said the only way to get out of the impasse is to transfer the territories for a limited time to an international mandate that will run them until the establishment of a Palestinian state. I am of the opinion that we will probably see, should the Lord tarry, an establishment of the Palestinian state within the now recognized borders of Israel. Now, there are two things to be said about that. The first thing to be said about that is don't worry about it. In our view, that seems like the end of the world. That just seems like that can never happen. But listen, that has always happened in Jewish history. That has always happened in Jewish history. Israel has always, from their establishment, they have always experienced either an expansion or a contraction of the amount of land they possessed according to their obedience. They have always experienced. This will be nothing new. Last year when I spoke at this conference, it was just after Ariel Sharon had uh, Israel pull out of the Gaza Strip. And I told you the same thing. Don't worry about it. Read in the prophets, when Jesus comes, he will rule and reign over the Gaza Strip. Don't worry about it. Israel has always experienced an expansion and a contraction of the land they've possessed. The most land they had was under Solomon. What determines whether they have a lot of land or a little land? One thing, their obedience to the Mosaic Covenant. We can say unequivocally without dispute that right now Israel is disobedient to the Mosaic Covenant. There's no question about it. You go there, there are idols and carved images in the land. There is no temple. They are disobedient. Israel is disobedient. Over 90% of Israel is now secular. That means that according to the promise of the land in Deuteronomy chapter 30, what we might call the land covenant, and according to the historical flow that we see, we can expect right now a contraction of the amount of land that Israel would possess. None of us want it. We want them to have Eretz Yisrael HaShlemah. Greater Israel. We want them to have all of the thing. But they're not right now. We can expect to see someone of a contraction. Now, if you want to be technical about it, who cares about a two-state solution? What we have right now is a seven-state situation. If you look at the borders that are theirs that they really own, didn't I already tell you? That it includes Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Jordan, Egypt, Syria, and Lebanon? 
Don't get yourself all in a knot over a Palestinian state within the borders of Israel. None of us like it per se. But it may be a very real fact that we're going to have to deal with in the near future. But right now, if you look at what Israel's supposed to be, it's a seven-state situation. So number one, don't worry about it. But number two, perhaps more potently, do realize that a two-state solution is not a solution at all. We must realize that. Though it may happen, we as Christians who know and believe the Bible must understand that it is not a solution. The world will laud it as a solution. It may bring in some of that false peace even that we read about before the tribulation period. But don't buy it. It is not a solution. Again, the press release just came out today from the quartet. Listen, this is absolutely mindless. This is Condoleezza Rice. It says, but the Palestinian people have waited a long time for a state. And the Israeli people have waited a long time for the peace and security that would come from having a democratic neighbor that was willing to live in peace with them. And so I don't think that we want to delay any longer the development of a political horizon for these people. And I think it would give great cause for hope in the region. I'm sorry, I don't want to be rude. But that's not that's not realistic. First of all, a Palestinian state will not be a real and viable democracy. Jack Hibbs already told you, and I will tell you again, there is no democracy apart from Judeo-Christian values. It is built upon those values. The Palestinian people, generally speaking, do not share those values. It will not be a viable democratic state. Who did they elect in their last vote? Hamas. What a bunch of democratic, fun-loving people. The second reason why the two-state solution is not at all a solution is because the Palestinian people, the Arabs in general in the Middle East, and Islam as a whole, are not looking for a two-state solution. They are looking for the destruction of Israel. You absolutely must understand that. January 22nd of last week, the ex-IDF chief of staff, uh, that is the chief of staff of the Israeli Defense Forces, said this. The Palestinians have no interest in a two-state solution with Israel, Alan said. They have never agreed to any partition of the land. They objected to the Peel Commission's proposal in 1937 and to the UN's plan in 1947 and again in 2000 in Camp David. Arafat's rejection then of Ehud Barak's generous offer of 95-98% of Judea and Samaria, read that, West Bank, and the war he launched instead showed that his goal was to prevent a two-state solution and especially the recognition of Israel. The fact that the Qassams, those are the rockets, continually fly from Gaza also proved this. Hamas made it quite clear as well. They are interested in one Arab state from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. That is reality. The quartet are not dealing with reality. Islam wants a one 
Arab state from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. But I'll tell you what, we are looking forward to Eretz Yisrael Hashlema from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean Sea. You understand that? He goes on and he says, The objective of Hezbollah is not the liberation of southern Lebanon, but rather the destruction of Israel. Therefore, Ya'alan said, In my opinion, a solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict will not bring calm to the Middle East. The lack of an authoritative Palestinian leadership that is capable or willing to implement a two-state solution and the fact that an entire young Palestinian generation is being brought up on hatred and death shows that the two-state paradigm is not relevant now, if at all. Unilateral Israeli concessions will only strengthen Islamic jihad and terrorism, Ya'alan emphasized again today. International pressure upon Israel for further concessions or unilateral Israeli withdrawals are seen as weaknesses and will only encourage them to continue to attack Israel and the West. Now, two things that he said has been proven. He said that he basically cast doubt on the idea that the Palestinian Authority could lead a nation of their own. I am of the opinion that the reason that Ariel Sharon withdrew from the Gaza Strip was to prove that to the world. What happened when we withdrew from the Gaza Strip? What happened? If you don't know, do a little bit of history. Why don't you go find out how many rockets were fired into Israel today? Why don't you find out how many arms were smuggled from Egypt into the Gaza Strip? Why don't you go see how much worse the situation is now in the Gaza Strip than it was when Israel was there? I am of the opinion that Ariel Sharon did that to prove to the world that these people are not yet ready to govern themselves, much less a democratic, peaceful state. The second thing that he said that has been proven is he said that concessions concerning the land to Islam or to the Arabs will only weaken Israel and they will not help anything. That was proved by the last conflict in Lebanon. Israel did not strike as they should have struck. Israel should have struck very fast and very hard. They did not. For all intents and purposes, they lost that conflict. Hezbollah didn't win. But for all intents and purposes, Israel lost. But here's the great victory of it all. Prior to that, the entire Muslim and Arab world was under the impression we can never beat Israel. They were absolutely obsessed with it. We can never beat Israel. Five of us invaded them the day after they became a nation and they kicked our butts. In, 1970, in 1967, again, five of us come against us and they beat us up and they captured Jerusalem. In 1973, we wait until their holy day, Yom Kippur, and we figure they'll all be in the synagogues praying. We'll attack them on three fronts at that time, and they beat the cheese out of us. And so the Arab and the Islamic world was convinced we cannot beat Israel. That ended with a conflict in Lebanon. All of a sudden, they started saying, wait a minute. Look what Hezbollah did. I, I think we could beat these guys. It didn't do anything for Israel to be soft at that time. It won't do them any good to make concessions concerning the land. It will not bring about any peace. Second thing that he said that I want you to know, or third thing really is this. He said that there is an entire young Palestinian generation that is being brought up on hatred and death. Listen to me. 
The doctrine of hatred and death runs so, so deep in the Palestinian people. They are indoctrinated with it from a very young age that it will take generations to subside if it stopped today. If today their school books begin to say Jews are good, Israel is nice, it would take generations for that to begin to take effect. The youths are the ones being indoctrinated and that will absolutely forbid a peaceful coexistence of two states. Though we may see it, it will be anything but peaceful. Mahmoud Abbas, right, the leader of the Palestinian Authority, said on January 11th this month, he said, They have killed us everywhere. By this revolution, by virtue of the determination of its people, by virtue of the determination of its youth, this revolution has continued and it will continue until after we fulfill the Palestinian dream, which is not a two-state solution. It is the destruction of Israel. Now, the Palestinian Charter was drafted in 1968. I'm going to show you some excerpts from the Palestinian Charter and I'm going to show you how that has influenced Palestinian school books from today and we'll see the indoctrination of hate against Israel. Okay, Article 7 of the Palestinian Charter says, It is a national duty to bring up individual Palestinians in an Arab revolutionary manner. He must be prepared for the armed struggle and ready to sacrifice his wealth and his life. This is a school book now from fifth grade. It says, There will be a jihad in our country shall be freed. You must know, my boy, that Palestine is your holy responsibility and that of your generation. Now a quote from a fourth grade school book. Long live the homeland, O oh my land, my land, my blood will be sacrificed for you. I have given my life as a sacrifice, accept it. Fourth grade. Article 9 of the PLO Charter says, Armed struggle is the only way to liberate Palestine. Now we have an 11th grade school book from the Palestinian Authority which says, Without blood, not even one centimeter will be liberated. School books. PLO Charter, Charter Article 15. The Arab nation must mobilize all its military, human, and moral and spiritual capabilities to participate actively with the Palestinian people in the liberation of Palestine. School book from the seventh grade. How are we going to liberate our stolen land? Make use of the following ideas. Arab unity, genuine faith in Allah, most modern weapons and ammunition, using oil and other precious natural resources as weapons in the battle for liberation. They are trained for war and hatred in school. If a Palestinian nation was established today, the hatred would not subside tomorrow. Please wake up, quartets. It is not a peace plan. Article 20 of the PLL Charter. Claims of historical or religious ties of Jews with Palestine are incompatible with the facts of history. That is an insane lie. That is an insane lie. Judaism being a religion is not an independent nationality. That is a falsehood. Nor do Jews constitute a single nation with an identity of its own. School book now from the 10th grade. The Zionists turn their attention towards Palestine as the national homeland of the Jews, while relying on false historical and religious claims. Again from the 10th grade, the Jews deluded themselves that their religious faith was sufficient to turn them into one nation. But what does the Bible say? 
The Bible says that the Jewish religion and the land are inseparable. Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8 says, God speaking, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. There's a religious statement from God. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land. There's a geographical statement from God. Of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, the very basis for the Palestinian people, which comes from the PLO Charter of 1968, is based on falsehoods. Absolute falsehoods. Historical falsehoods. Religious falsehoods. Article 21 says the Arab-Palestinian people reject all solutions which are substitutes for the total liberation of Palestine. School book from the 8th grade. My brothers, the oppressors have overstepped the boundary. Therefore, jihad and sacrifice are a duty. Are we to let them steal its Arab nature? Let us gather for war with red blood and blazing fire. O Palestine, the youth will redeem your land. Now, what do you expect Israel to do? It is a height of arrogance from the world stage to tell them, you know, take it easy. You were too mean in Lebanon. Just mellow out a little bit. You're too heavy handed in Gaza. Just pull out of, of the West Bank a little bit. Just, just leave Judea and Samaria. Don't worry about it. That is a height of insanity and hypocrisy. You understand that when Israel fights, they are fighting for their existence. We have not won a war since World War II. And here we are, fat and happy. If Israel loses a real war of any conflict, they will cease to exist. Practically, secularly speaking. Biblically speaking, Amos chapter 9 says, having now been restored to the land, they will never be removed from the land. They will never be removed from the land. There will be contractions and expansions. The reestablishment of Israel concerns or, or, or involves two different ingatherings, an ingathering of unbelief and one of belief. We happen to be witnesses of the ingathering in unbelief. Yes, they are coming back to the land, but they are not turning to their God. The second gathering is when Mashiach comes during the battle of Armageddon to fight on behalf of Israel. At that time, it will be the gathering in belief. Let's read about it here in Zechariah, chapter 12, starting in verse 8. The context is all the nations gathered against Israel in the battle of Armageddon. And it says in Zechariah 12, 8, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it will come about in that day that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look upon me, capital M in the New American Standard Bible, whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him, capital H, as one mourns for the only son. And they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over the firstborn. 
And again, chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day is coming for the Lord. When the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, and the houses plundered, and the women ravished, and half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fights on the day of battle. And in that day he will set his feet on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Yerushalayim on the east, and on the Mount of Olives, and it will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the west. July 11th, 1927, geologists found a fault line under the Mount of Olives running from east to west. God doesn't need a fault line to split the mountain when he comes back, but he likes to throw us a little prophetic bone every now and again. To say, wake up, my word is true. Verse 5, and you will flee by the valley of my mountain, for the valley of the mountain will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Write in your Bible, me. That is you and I, according to Revelation chapter 19. We are the holy ones clothed in the righteous acts of the saints who come back with the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period to rescue, to rule, and to reign with Jesus Christ from Israel. Verse 6, And it will come about in that day that there will be no light, the luminaries will dwindle. For it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And it will come about in that day that living waters will flow out of Yerushalayim, half of them toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. Last verse. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. Don't worry if you see a two-state solution happen in the land. It is not a solution. It may very well lend itself to the false peace and security that is necessary for the rise of the Antichrist. Watch to see how Islam engages with Europe. What then should we be doing as Christians? Well, number one, we should support the church in Israel and in Arab countries. I want to issue a specific call right now to the church in America. We should support the church in Israel. We should not necessarily be supporting secular Israel. We should be supporting the remnant, redeemed Israel. Listen to me. They are the most persecuted. They are the most hated people on the face of the earth. Because as Jews, they are hated by the whole world. And then as Christians, they are hated by Jews. Your brothers and sisters who are in the blood covenants of Jeremiah 31, Christians, Jewish Christians in Israel are the most hated people on the face of the earth. Are you looking for something to do, Christian? Bless the Jewish Christian in the land of Israel. The second thing that we ought to do is educate people with the truth. The media is so loud, we need to get louder. It's time to pull our heads out of the sand. We cannot do what we did when the church was faced with evolution. We must speak up. We must make our voice heard. We must be a voice for a truth. We have attained royalty in the blood of Jesus Christ for such a time as this. We must be very vocal. It will not always be legal should the Lord tarry for us to say these things. We must say them. Third thing we need to do is pray. 
Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122, verse 6 says. And may those who love you prosper. And I close by reading Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake I will not keep quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you forsaken. Nor to your land will any longer be said desolate. For you will be called my delight is in her. And your land married For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. As Pastor Jack said, we need to pray and fast. As Pastor Ricky said, we need to wake up, get right, put off, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, look up. Your redemption draws very, very, very nigh. Lord, thank you for your holy word. We bless your name, Jesus. What can we say to such things except we bless your name? We love you, Lord. We trust your plan. We trust your faithfulness. We cling to you. We cling to you.